Hey, Sharnold. Yeah, Zach. I have a question. What's up with the X Men? Like, what's uh, what are they? What are they doing now? They uh, the X Mening, the X Mening about all over the place, or just one specific place? What's going on with them? Warning: This podcast contains extreme spoilers of House of X and Powers of X. You have been warned. Hey everybody, welcome to the Doombots Podcast. I'm Zach, this is Sharnold. Hello. We're best friends who uh, talk comics. Mostly, Sharnold explains comics to me. See, the thing is, we figure there's a lot of people who have a huge affinity for the Marvel comics, and they just don't have enough time to read the 60-plus comics they put out every single month. So we're here to just spoil the shit out of them for you. What we're going to spoil today is... Okay, so recently, a creator named Jonathan Hickman has taken over the X-Line. That's what the series of all books involving the X-Men is called, the X-Line. That makes sense. I mean, that's the best way to do that, I would imagine. Yeah. And boy, has he made some changes. All right. (laughs) Um, So much has changed that None of them have powers. Yeah, they're all baseline humans. They're all dead. We got rid of all the characters that existed before. All right. And now there's just some dude named Sharnold and Zach walking around and just, like, talking to each other. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Jonathan Hickman is a friend of mine. Would be a terrible... Idea for a story. <laughs> I think it would make a good podcast, though. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think it would. <laughs> just us, like, stranded on a desert island, just the random conversations that we have. I mean, one of us would eat the other one pretty quickly. Let's get back on track. <laughs> so, like, uh, what's going on with the X-Men, then? Jonathan Hickman's got this big overarching plan for all of the X-Men books. And you started by making a huge fundamental shift, which is that the X-Men have started their own country. Wow. Like a sovereign nation? A sovereign nation, yeah. He wrote okay. two miniseries called House of X and Powers of X. Okay. That were about the founding of this nation. Okay, where is this nation located? It's on an island called Krakoa in okay. the ocean, as most islands are. Uh-huh. Krakoa is an island that has a lot of history not with Krakatoa? the X-Men. It's not Krakatoa. The, no, the it's, volcano one? No, it's Krakoa. It's just a remarkably similarly named island? Probably named after it. It was created in the mid-70s. So, All right. You know. Sure. Names. Yeah. When Krakoa was first introduced, it was introduced in a book called Giant Size X-Men Number 1, which is the same issue that introduced Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Banshee, uh, Sunfire. Oh, so this was a, a place that already existed within the canon universe. Yes. Got it. Okay. And it was the island that ate the original X-Men. Well, I'm sorry. What? It is a mutant island. Okay. I feel that that is a big deal that should have been mentioned before. You know... Maybe, yeah. Like, the idea that there can be mutant islands and mutant other things. No, I just meant before in our conversation currently. It's a mutant island that they've moved to? Yes. Okay. And it's sentient. Okay. And they talk to it. Okay. And it has flowers that produce portals that teleport you to and from the island, but only mutants can use those portals. All right. Not worth asking about any of that. No. So let's keep going. Back to Giant Size X-Men number one, yeah. where Krakoa eats the X-Men. Uh-huh. He eats the original five X-Men, Scott Summers, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Beast, Iceman, Angel. 
All right. And that is why Professor Xavier has to gather a new team of X-Men to come save them. And that's why we meet Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, etc., etc. Sure. That's when Wolverine comes and joins the team, too. It's not his first appearance, but it is when he joins the team. Okay. So now, fast forward 50 years... And Krakoa is on our side now and being a friendly, happy island. Bygones be bygones. That's right. So it's a lot more complicated than just that. That feels like it's already pretty complicated. Jonathan Hickman likes to tell extremely intricate, complexly woven, non-linear stories. Okay. And it's the non-linearity slash retcons that makes it difficult to figure out just how to describe this to you. But the basic premise is they've started a new country. A new sentient country. Yes. So the the council of people who are currently developing this government are four sets of three people. So there's Xavier, Magneto, and Apocalypse. Okay. Apocalypse is a mutant. All mutants have been given amnesty and been welcomed to this new mutant island, including the super evil ones. Where they work together and live in harmony? Yeah, that's the idea. Well, that's the idea. (laughs) Probably that will not go well at some point, but as of now, that's still working out. Okay. Jean Grey, Storm, and Nightcrawler are another set of the council. Mystique, Mr. Sinister, and a guy named Exodus that most people have never heard of. I've never heard of him. He was an acolyte of Magneto's. He is very much in the following the Magneto that was, let's kill all the humans. Oh, good. So Magneto doesn't really believe that anymore. Sure. But Exodus still does. All right. He was also made by Apocalypse in the 1400s, but you know, that's a whole other backstory that doesn't matter. Was he in the desert a lot? No? Doesn't have biblical roots in the desert? Oh, no. Absolutely nothing to do with that. He was a crusader in the 1400s before Apocalypse got his hands on him and turned him into a mutant. Sure. But that's not really important. What are his powers? He can fly, he's invulnerable, and he's got all sorts of psychic, lasery stuff that he does. So a real smorgasbord. Oh, and teleport. All right. He's very powerful. Yeah. And then the other set of three is Immafrost, Sebastian Shaw who you would know as the Black King of the Hellfire Club. Sure. And an unknown... Is he the one who Kevin Bacon plays? He is, yes. In First Class, In First Class, yeah. All right. And an unknown... He has some sort of fire power? In the movie, yeah. His real mutant power is that he absorbs kinetic Kinetic energy. energy, That's right. And can he shoot it back at you, right? Yeah, but not with lasers. He just punches you with it. Oh, all right. And then a third, as of yet, unrevealed person that Emma Frost gets to appoint to the council. I'm just joking. (laughs) Though that would be a twist that no one saw coming. That's true. So now let's go back a minute. Sure. Let's introduce the character Moira McTaggart, because she is essential to all of the retconning that has gone into creating this island nation. Moira McTaggart. Yes, so she was a... Let me guess, the store manager at a local Best Buy. That's right. Moira McTaggart is a very normal name. Yes, it is. All right. You know Banshee? He's the guy that screams. I know Banshee. Not like the mythical Banshee, but no, like I, the X-Man Banshee, John Cassidy. I'm okay, so he and Moira McTaggart were a couple. Hot bang it. Yep. Okay. So that's when she was first introduced as a geneticist living on an island called Muir Island, which was where lots of mutant research was going on. Sure. She also used to be in love with Charles Xavier. They've got a long history together that has only 
kind of semi-been developed. She was responsible for killing Mystique's long-term girlfriend, whose name was Destiny. Okay. And Destiny had the power to see the future. So then, a few years later, Mystique came back and killed Moira McTaggart. Real quick, how do you kill somebody who can see the future? That's a good question. Okay. It involves possession by a guy named the Shadow King. Of course. I mean, I assumed. And it gets complicated. Oh, I... <laughs> I, I imagine it was straightforward. She just walked up and shot her. And and it's not really important. Sure. The point is Mystique blames Moira for Destiny dying, so Mystique kills Moira. Moira died in the late 90s. Oh, this is all stuff that happened way long ago. Yes. Got so it. she's been dead for about 20 real human years. Sure. She was a human, just a regular human. Okay. Now she's not dead anymore, and now she's not a human anymore either. Okay, is that explained at all? Yes, it is. So she is a mutant whose power is, when she dies, she retains all of her memories, but gets reincarnated again as herself the moment she was born. But, like, she's born again? She's born again at the same time and place to the same mother and father that she was born to the first time. But now she retains But now she has the memories of her entire life. Wow. And so what they are saying is that the Moira in the present X-Men timeline, that it is her 10th life, that she has lived nine lives before this. Got it. And gathered all sorts of knowledge that we'll get into in a minute. And it is based on her knowledge of potential futures that Magneto and Xavier came together and decided to found this new nation. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things that Moira has seen in her nine other lives. It's vital to this? It's extremely vital, yes. Okay. And and these are things that are shown in a nonlinear fashion throughout the two different miniseries that Hickman wrote. Oh, good. So what keeps happening is that all of the mutants die. Mm-hmm. And Moira is trying to prevent this from happening. Mm-hmm. So one thing she tried is she warned Professor Xavier about the dangers of the humans. And so Professor Xavier, instead of going through life as a sort of peaceful human harmonizer became kind of militant and trained the X-Men, you know, to be like dominant fighting people. And the humans got even more scared of the mutants than they already are and used sentinels to just wipe them out. Hold on. Wait, this brings up so many questions about timelines, though. Don't it? (laughs) Don't it really? I assure you that none of those questions are answered, but go ahead and ask anyway. Okay. So every time she dies, does all of time reset then? Yes. Okay. So she's Groundhog's Day, the mutant. For her whole life, not but just for one for day. But also for everyone else's life. Yes. Okay. Yes. And Got we're it. currently in iteration 10. Okay. I mean, that's like, that's game changing for everything in the universe. It really is. Yes. Like, like to a degree that feels problematic. As long as she doesn't die, we're fine. Okay. Well, the other thing is that if she dies and starts her 11th life, yes. that timeline will be different than the main Marvel Universe, right? The main Marvel Universe will keep going just without a Moira McTaggart in it. But it won't because then, because that, because it won't though. I think one thing that we have established firmly in Marvel Comics is that no amount of time travel can ever erase a timeline. You can only create more. 
very helpful. Right, because the the Marvel universe still exists sure. today, despite having had hundreds of time travelers come back and mess with its timeline. It's almost as if time travel doesn't work as a narrative device. It's similar to that, except that it's exactly that. <laughs> it's similar to that. It's exactly that. All right. So, so, so you're, you're very correct in that. Yes. And I actually think that there is a strong possibility that in five years or so, when Marvel decides to retcon this story, because that's what they do every handful right. of years, they will use that as a narrative reason for Retconning how to things. set things back to normal. Either that, or this is a new status quo, and this mutant nation is going to last for the foreseeable future. It's hard to say. Okay. So she tried allying with Xavier. That didn't work. She tried allying with Magneto, and he got too evil too quickly, and so the Avengers and the other heroes kind of killed him and all the mutants. I keep forgetting the other Avengers are in this. They are, yeah. Which also means every time she dies, their lives are reset. The entire universe was reset. Yes. All right. She tried allying herself with Apocalypse, and what happened there... So Sentinels are giant human-made mutant-killing robots. Correct. Yes, I know that part. An advanced form of Sentinel is called Nimrod. Okay, I actually know that too, and I know the biblical reference to that. Yeah, and he is a Sentinel from the future Mm -hmm. that is better and stronger and unkillable. Okay. In the timeline where Moira allied herself with Apocalypse, Nimrod took over the world and he killed all the mutants. Okay, quick question. Yes. Just as a backup for people who might not know, what's Apocalypse's deal? What's his whole thing? <laughs> That's like five episodes worth of explanations know, to try to say that. Rick, so he is the first mutant. He was born in ancient Egypt times. He is immortal. His mutant powers are ill-defined, but he has... No. <laughs> what ill-defined mutant powers I know, that right? change based off of the whim of the writer and when it was written? You don't say. <laughs> I know. Go right. figure. But he has celestial technology. Okay. Celestials are space gods. Yeah, yeah. So basically, he could theoretically have access to anything okay. that he needs to so, at the right. time. So he's a walking sort of uh, Deus Ex. <laughs> yeah, kind of but he's all about survival of the fittest, and so he is all he evil, he, or is he just a force of nature? He's character? generally considered evil. Okay, and yeah. his name spelled stupid. No, it's just spelled apocalypse. Okay, like I didn't the know regular it was like DC Dark Side. Oh no, it's no. definitely pronounced Dark Seed based <laughs> off the spelling, but that's fine. So Apocalypse likes to come out and start big fights so that a lot of people will die, so that only the strongest can survive. Okay. That's his deal. And he also, being Apocalypse and having semi-biblical origins himself, likes to take four mutants at a time to become his horsemen of death, war, famine. Got it. And Before the other the apocalypse. thing. Oh, I get it. <laughs> right. That's very clever. Yes. Does he currently have those four horsemen? He does not. No. Okay. Uh, but I'm guessing that at some point he will recruit some people off the island to become his new horsemen. Got it. Now, are there any X-Men? Sorry to jump ahead. Are there any X-Men who have refused to go to this island? No. There are some mutants who have been trapped in nations that don't recognize Krakoa's sovereignty. Okay. And there is actually a book called The Marauders, which is about Kitty Pride and her ragtag team of people who go in and, and rescue those mutants and bring them to Krakoa. Okay. So let's get back to Moira McTaggart. Yes. 
So in Moira's other life, another one that was extremely important to our understanding of the Marvel cosmos. All right. She lived to 10,000 years in the future. She's immortal? No. She got a lot of blood transfusions from Wolverine. Nope. No. Uh, well... Yes, she did. I mean, all right. There is a precedent for getting Wolverine's blood being able to heal you. So she lived to the year 10,000 and then started all over again. Yes. And Reed Richards is still the smartest man in the universe. Yeah, well, a lot of her time was spent in captivity, so she wasn't learning. Like, possibly as much as five or six thousand years. Sure. What happened is that the robots once again gained sentience, and humanity decided that they wanted to merge with the robots. Okay. And what we learn is that black holes, as we understand them, I was not expecting black holes to be involved in this, but all right. I told you, it gets cosmic. Are actually just extremely dense collectives of sentient nanobots that have pulled together to form uber consciousnesses. And they come to absorb humanity. All of this that we're learning about all of her past lives, it's all Hickman. It's all Hickman. Writing this. Yes. And we're just now learning this in Correct. this series that's happening now. Correct. All right. All of this is brand new. All right. Hickman likes to do these really intricate, weird design images to go along with his comics. So here's one that sort of explains the different type of robot intelligences. Okay, right now I'm looking at a picture of what looks like a digital printout of... Uh, it, it just circles. Just, just I guess, sort of like Bohr's models of the atom, vaguely mixed with, like, a tracking system on a targeting... Th like, a, in a web... I'm not describing this well, but... We'll put it up on the website so you guys can it's, see it's it. It's just, like, diagrams. It's just circular diagrams that look like they're molecules. That's a good word. Diagram. I couldn't think of the word diagram. That's concerning, but all right. <laughs> that one's just a bullseye. The one below that's just like a target, like just like a like a sight. That actually looks like the bullseye on bullseye in the comics. It does. Or in the does. movie, I should say. Yeah. Stupid one. It's carved into his head like fucking... Yeah, this movie's garbage. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> so there are six types of robot-based intelligence species based on how dense, as in how many consciousnesses they have observed. Hold on. Pause, because this is complicated, and I can't stop thinking of one thing. In the movie Daredevil, the movie, do you remember how Daredevil's power is he can, like, he's very athletic, despite being a lawyer, but that's fine, and he can see in the rain, but he has to take his glasses off for some reason to see with his ears. Do you remember that movie? I'm, yes, familiar okay. with the Daredevil movie. Okay, so do you remember how Elektra's first deal was like, oh, there's this blind guy, I'm going to fight him in a children's playground? Yeah. Okay, that was her first thought. First thought, best thought, fight. A blind dude in a playground. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember how Bullseye, in the comics, Bullseye's power is he can throw good, right? I mean, fundamentally, I guess, yes. Okay. So why did he also have super jumping skills in the movie? Because there's one scene where he straight fucking jumps onto the roof of a second story building in one scene. And they all just jump all over the goddamn place. What? Why was that movie so fucking terrible, Sharnold? I need answers to that. That's a different episode, right, Zach. Fine. And okay. also, I couldn't tell you about the creative process behind movies because that's not something that you or I have ever spent three or four years studying. 
Look, okay. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. I, the, the, the jumping bothered me. Sorry. Let's... I'll. I'll try to jump less in the no. future right. when I'm around you. Sure. I'll try to be just, sensitive of your just jumping needs phobia. To respect gravity a little bit more. Okay, so hive mind. So there's a technarch, a world mind, a phalanx, a titan, a stronghold, and a dominion. Sure. And so far, we have met up to the phalanx. The phalanx are a species that have been introduced previously in the X-Men. I do not understand what any of these diagrams mean. They don't really mean anything. They're just But what are they representing? Is it just nonsense? <laughs> kind of, yes. All right. I mean, I don't mind some good nonsense. I just don't understand what any of the dots or any of the circles are supposed to represent. Sort of from the look on your face, you also do not understand what any of those dots I, I, or circles mean. I don't. I really don't. But he explains it here with words. Can I read this? Sure. Let's see if I understand this. Okay. I'm going to read the one for Dominion, which if I if I remember correctly, Dominion is this bottom one down here? Yeah. Those are Dominion the... Dominion looks, like looks like a spider web with a big target in the middle. You're going to have to just look on the line to see what I'm talking about. But I would like to know if this makes any sense. A Dominion is a collective of ten or more titans, so already know acting in unison to control a particular sector or sectors of space in both area and epochs of time. And while the minimum number of titans needed to compose a dominion is 10, the average number of titans in a dominion is much higher than that. Is this from a comic or like a D&D guide manual? <laughs> this, like This is one of the pages in the comic book that most readers will probably skip over, but it's the sort of complex world building that Hickman likes to add For example, to the local dominion controlling the sector, including Earth space, is a collective numbering 112 titans. It's worth noting that in terms of intellect and power, a dominion is not colloquially godlike, but categorically godlike and indistinguishable from any and all mythic or religious comparisons. So let's see what a titan is then. Titan is an interstellar society that has become so advanced that the density of its unified intelligence has collapsed space-time into a singularity. All universal societies exist in partially atemporal space, but unlike strongholds or dominions, titans are a singular hermetic intellect, isolationist, and not a collective or a group. Unlike all universal societies on the Kardashev scale, a titan represents a type O civilization. Okay. So now you understand why Moira McTaggart is afraid of robots, right? Oh, I... (laughs) I had completely forgotten that we were talking about robots. You know what? Let's proceed as if this is going really well. Yeah. Okay. So what Hickman has set up is a conflict between humans, mutants, and robots. That in every life Moira has lived, the mutants have lost by all dying. Sure. And so now, in her 10th try, the way that they're going to try to not have all the mutants die is by having them all come together on Krakoa, start their own nation, and be strong. Okay, so is Moira the one who brought all the mutants together under the guise of the robot threat to make them live harmoniously on Krakoa? No, that was Professor Xavier. No one besides Xavier and Magneto know that Moira is still alive. But she's the one who convinced them. Yes, she is the puppet master that everyone else thinks is dead. Okay, so is she playing at something evil? Because usually... My guess is absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Usually uh, when there's a puppet master, like the movie Puppet Master, it doesn't end pleasantly. Or the Fantastic Four villain Puppet Master. Of course there is. Uh, do you remember that one time we tried to come up with superhero names and we just couldn't? There just weren't any that didn't already exist. Mm-hmm. We played that game for like an hour. We just thought of words, just random words, and all of them were things. Anyway, all right. So, now that we've got this island, 
the next step is that all mutants are immortal. What? <laughs> I told you he's doing some really weird long-term world building here. Is that like a canon thing? Five of the mutants that have been brought together for this island are Gold Balls. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, there's a mutant whose name is Gold Balls. He's a relatively new addition to mutant kind. Brian Michael Bendis created him about five years ago. He generates balls that are golden that are made of organic material but don't do anything. What? What? What do you mean they don't do anything? They're just they're just balls. They just sit there. He, he can, like, throw them at people. Hard? Like, they have mass. Yeah. And he can generate, like, any size. Okay. Sometimes he puts people inside them. Okay. It's that, a weird power. <laughs> I mean, it feels a very on-the-nose name. Yes. Well, it was, like, it was meant to be a joke, but he sort of ran with it. Ah, uh, right, right. Yeah. His, his real name is Fabio Medina. All right. If you care about that sort of secret identity. In this case, I don't. <laughs> but keep going. So it's Gold Balls, Proteus, Elixir, Ava Bell, and Hope. And together, what they do... Gold Balls makes a ball, which turns out to be an egg. What? His, his balls are actually dormant eggs. This is something that Hickman added in this miniseries. Okay. Proteus has reality warping powers. Wait, hold on. Who are these five? These are five mutants that Xavier brought together on the island. Who are immortal. Who, with their powers combined, have created a system such that every mutant is immortal. Okay, and what's the system? All right, gold so, balls makes an egg. So gold balls makes an Just egg. Just think about these sentences that we're saying. <laughs> Proteus takes the dormant egg and activates it with his reality warping powers. All right. Then Elixir, who is a healer, puts life into the egg. Ava Bell, who is a time manipulator, speeds it up. And Hope, who is kind of like Rogue, she has the powers of those around her, helps the four of them work in tandem. And they're able to create what's called a husk, which is basically just a genetic clone of anyone that they want. And since Mr. Sinister has been gathering DNA of mutants for forever, they can make any mutant. And another thing that Hickman added is that Cerebro, which is the machine that Professor Xavier uses to locate mutants. Right. Can copy brainwaves or something? Can copy brain patterns. And so he has a backup of every mutant ever you know, hidden around space and time. Sure. And he so when takes any... that back up and puts it in the husk and... So the husk isn't immortal. Just if any X-Men or any mutant dies, they can just make a new one with all of its brain patterns. Correct. All right. And they do this after some rather important X-Men go off on a suicide mission and die. Which ones? Cyclops, Wolverine, okay. Jean Grey, you know, the, the big ones. Yeah, all right. Not gold balls. Or, I mean, I guess he would be an important one now, though. And they have backup husks of those five waiting around just in case one of them dies. Xavier can bring them back without them. So okay. they've got back. They've got redundancies to make sure that their system of immortality doesn't get messed up. All right. So the mission that these important X-Men went on, they found out that there is a mother mold orbiting the sun. Now, a mother mold uh... is a sentient robot that builds master molds, and master molds is a robot that builds sentinels. So the sentinels are just being built independent of humanity now? Yes. And that's sort of 
a big deal of this humans versus mutants versus robots three-pronged conflict that Hickman has set up. The robots are beginning to generate independence. Why do robots hate X-Men, mutants? Because their original programming before they developed self-sentience was based on killing them. And they just decided to run with that. Yeah. All right. So Cyclops, Nightcrawler, Jean Grey, Mystique, and a couple others go into space to destroy the Mother Mold, and they all die with it. And there's a really good line that I actually really like and was actually very meaningful where Nightcrawler and Logan know they're going to die and don't yet know that they're going to get revived. And so Logan asks, you still think there's something waiting for us on the other side? Worried about your soul, Logan? Just wondering what someone like me ought to expect. When you wake up from this earthly slumber, my friend, look for me. I will be there waiting for you, radiant and with open arms. I thought that was great. And those were their last words before they died. And you didn't even do the German accent. (laughs) I thought it might ruin the sweetness of the the moment if I tried to do the... When you awake from this earthly slumber, my friend, look for me. No, I will be waiting there for you. (laughs) feels like a hate crime of some sort. And I don't even know if I mean that against Germans. I just felt all kinds of wrong. But no. <laughs> All right. Let's let's move on. That's that's very sweet. Prior to you making it very uncomfortable. So the end of the two miniseries sort of ends with everything being good and happy for the mutants. They're all together on this island. Most of the nations of the world have accepted its sovereignty. The villains who have come to be part of this mutant island aren't being jerks. And they're just kind of celebrating and being happy together. And there's just this wonderful moment of we're finally not being hunted and killed that will last until the next X-Men comic gets published. I I have sort of an existential question. Yes. Are there ghosts in X-Men? Is there an afterlife that is established? There are many different versions Uh. of assorted afterlifes that have been established from time to time. Every week I get a version of your answer, which is always, who wrote it and what year is it? And then I'll answer your question. Okay, you're, so you're asking whether or not X-Men know definitively what being dead is or like. Or if readers know definitively that there is an afterlife for people who die in the X-Men universe. Not definitively, okay. but generally, yes. Here's my question. And it's, I guess, sort of a timeline question. Wolverine and Nightcrawler think they're going to die. Mm-hmm. And then they wake up in their husk bodies, mm-hmm. right? But, like, they did die. Yes, Now, that is a doubly interesting question because there is precedent for non-living husks that have had brainwaves put into them moving on to the afterlife. Because about 10 years ago, in a series called Chaos War, where a bunch of dead people came back to life, Moira was one of those people. This was before she had been retconned into being a mutant who had faked her death. Okay. And the way that she faked her death is they made a fake husk for her and put her mind in it so that it would look like she died. And apparently that husk went to the afterlife and got brought back during the Chaos War. So it is, yes, entirely possible. But that doesn't make sense, though. 
Because if the husk has all of your powers, wouldn't it have the reincarnation powers? Yes. I had not thought about that. And you know what? I'm not sure anyone else has thought about that either. Because that's Ma- the whole point. That's why they have husks of Nightcrawl like, and Roller, because they have their powers. They must have not given the husk her powers? <laughs> like when they were growing it? I guess. Okay. Sure. So let's say they can decide that, uh-huh. right? Now, just problematically speaking, let's say they do decide to make a husk where they give her her powers. But then when she dies, doesn't it retcon the other Moira McTaggart's life? Boy, that's double confusing, Zach. I'm not the one who wrote this. Uh, Yes, it is. I mean, you're not wrong. That's a huge problem. My guess is the way that they're going to avoid that question by not, is by not doing that. Addressing it at all? All right. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Just as long as they don't make extra Moiras, then you don't have to worry about that. Except that they did already. And you just told me that they did. <laughs> yes. You and know, that that one not only died... But then came back from the dead. Yeah, but only for a little while. Only during the Chaos War. But, okay. Hell sort of broke open, and so all the dead came out. There is a hell, yeah. Where people who die go. Yeah, but it takes many different forms. But my point is, couldn't there be a hell Wolverine and a hell Nightcrawler now? Yes, absolutely. All right. This could get really, really complicated. All right. If that's the direction oh, they choose oh, to oh, take it could the story get in. really, really complicated. But my guess is they're not going to worry so much about that. All right. Now, one thing I want to know, the husks that they grow are made of, like, DNA, not adamantium. Yeah. <laughs> right? So where did Wolverine get his new adamantium skeleton from? Because that's kind of like a big deal. No, evidently it's not. <laughs> I mean, if they can just make anything, right? Doesn't one of them have reality warping powers, you said? Yeah, he so does. He just made adamantium. <laughs> yeah, I guess. That's I mean, how I guess someone also does or doesn't have their powers. It is interesting the multitude of complications that arise if you think too hard about the fact that Proteus has reality warping powers. Because Proteus's power has always been extremely unstable. And so I guess that makes a lot of sense now that Hope is helping him to stabilize that the reality warping really could do anything. And when you have that many mutants actually coming together and working in harmony, they probably could do just about absolutely anything you could conceive of. Sure. So, I mean, it makes sense that therefore they can make us with or without powers. Yeah. And I guess it kind of makes sense for the humans to be terrified of them. Oh, mad sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that I get a sense that a lot of the questions that we're bringing up are what the upcoming stories are going to be about. You know, what do these husks mean in terms of life and death and souls? And how are the humans going to react? And which mutants are going to end up betraying which mutants? And is the society going to be stable? And what is Moira's secret evil plan? You know, I think all of that sort of stuff are what he has set up to be the stories that are going to be coming out of this new status quo. All right. And how long does it seem like he will be running this storyline? For the foreseeable future? Right on. Yeah, I I don't have any inclining that it's going to be less than at least a couple years. I mean, through my sort of trepidation at some of the storylines, it seems that maybe a kind of negative commentary, but I really appreciate the ambitious level of storytelling that's involved in this. It sounds crazy, but everything sounds crazy when you're trying to do new things. Yeah, it's going to be really hard until this era of X-Men is over to decide whether or not it worked or was a good idea or not, I think. Yeah. 
but you got to take risks. I agree. Yeah. So you ready to uh, spin that wheel of segments? Yeah, let's do the wheel of segments, and here we go. And we have... Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, this will be a good one for you. <laughs> we have Zach reiterates what he's just learned. Go! All right. You can do it. I believe in your memory. Gotta work on the title of that segment a bit. <laughs> All right, so... 50 years ago, there was an island that ate the most important X-Men because it was a sentient mutant island. And so Charles Xavier got a bunch of other X-Men who are now famous together to rescue those earlier X-Men from the carnivorous island. And then sometime after that, because of reasons, a bunch of mutants were like, hey, remember that island that ate us? Let's live on there. Oh, you mean like the good guys? No, like all of us. But how we live in harmony? Just will. And then the backstory to that is the two mutants who led it, who are Magneto and Xavier, were directed to do so by a character who is a minor character-ish years and years ago who died. But it turns out she did die. But then her power is that she's reborn with all of her own memories. And she's lived like 10 lives. And when she dies, she's reborn. And she retains all of her memories. And she knows that the robots are going to attack the mutants and kill everybody. Because she's seen it happen over and over and over. And every time she tried to stop it, it didn't work. But this time she decided to get all the mutants together. Which also sounds like just an easy target for the robots, but whatever. There is an interesting thing that I didn't bring up earlier that they do talk about in the story. The last time an island nation of mutants was created, Grant Morrison wrote a story about how the Sentinel robots murdered 16 million mutants. Because they were all congregated together. Well, and don't worry, this time it's going to be different. But why, though? You <laughs> I know mean, what? they bring it up. Okay. They, they, they mention that in the story. Sure. It's not just, like, left out. But mentioning it doesn't mean it's gonna be... Di you know what? doesn't matter. Someone has a plan somewhere. So, okay, so maybe even more, all the mutants have gotten together on one island to protect themselves from the threat of a super advanced robot uprising that wants to kill them. That, that was great, yeah. That, in fact, that sentence should just be our episode. We can cut the rest of the everything else. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Okay, well, that answers all of my questions for uh, this week. And as always, raises just so many other questions. But uh, we'll have to get back to that next week. Yeah, if you guys have any questions yourselves or want us to expand on anything that we talked about today, you can reach us at, at DoombotsPod on Twitter and Facebook and Gmail and all the other internet places. Yeah, and uh, if you want to see our blog where we're going to put up those very confusing diagrams about the robot life, I still don't know what any of that was. <laughs> we'll I'll to... add an explanation next to it so, so that... it's not just a diagram in the middle of nothing. I think they should just get the diagram. <laughs> but that'll be up on doombotspod.com where you can subscribe to our blog. And, uh, you know, we're going to come back to you next week. Hey, Shonda, what's the plan for next week? Where I am going to explain why the C-list villain Boomerang is now Spider-Man's roommate. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, what? Okay. You gotta wait till next week. I know. God damn it. <laughs>